Hello and welcome to Double Stint, Sports Car 365 Sports Car Racing Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Grace, and I'm joined today by Sports Car 365 reporter Daniel Lloyd. Dan, you spent the weekend trackside in Germany following the action at the 24 Hours of Nürburgring. How was your weekend at the Nürburgring Nordschleife? It was brilliant, thanks, Jonathan. Yeah, I absolutely uh, adore the Nürburgring and the Nürburgring 24. It's a, a real unique event. Lots of things that are very specific to this race and this circuit. Um, so as always, it was a pleasure to be trackside uh, attending one of the best races around. We've got a great show for you today. We'll, of course, recap the weekend's racing action at the Nürburgring, bring you the news of the week, answer some listener questions, and give you a preview of what's coming up in the world of sports car racing. All that and more on this week's edition of Double Stint. Well, Dan, let's dive right into the action at the Nürburgring Nordschleife. And I think the only thing to say here is Ciao Bella, the Ferrari 296 GT3, the number 30 car of Fricadelli Racing, who took top honors, affectionately named the car Bella. We saw their speed and what they were capable of in the N24 qualifiers, followed that up with an excellent victory here. It looked fairly controlled as well uh, for the 30 car in their lineup. They ran out front from the opening stages of the race and never really looked back. They only really lost the lead uh, during the pit cycles. They avoided uh, some drama with the puncture, stayed in front and taking the win for the Italian squad in Germany. Yeah, it was a, a dominant performance in the end and a historically significant victory um, for Fricadelli Racing Team and for Ferrari. Um, the Nürburgring 24 has traditionally been a race dominated by the German manufacturers, uh, the big four German GT3 manufacturers, Audi, Porsche, Mercedes, AMG and BMW. But on this occasion, um, it was the Ferrari that took the win. We've seen in previous years the, the odd low, low volume number of entries from the likes of Ferrari teams, Lamborghini teams. Uh, Aston Martin last year had a really good crack. Um, but they've never been able to make it stick. Usually it's down to just the numbers um, that the, the other the German manufacturers have in the race. But Fricadelli put everything together over the weekend and they had a really strong car. El Bamba, Nicky Katzberg, David Pittard and Felipe fernandez Lazer. A bit of a motley crew of drivers, I suppose. They come from all sorts of different backgrounds. Pittard, of course, was in a potential winning car with Aston Martin last year until it crashed. Um, Lars has been involved in the Glickenhaus program. And then you've got Bamba and Katzberg who have... Uh, Katzberg who's won it with BMW before Bamber, a former Porsche driver, both now in General Motors pool. It was a real um, eclectic mix um, of, of drivers in that team um, and, a, and a sort of a real um, hearty privateer effort, it seemed. Rinaldi Racing, the longtime Ferrari team, um, providing support to the Fricadelli entry. Um, and, and they put it all together. The Ferrari 296 GT3 was extremely fast, not just uh, the Fricadelli example. So I think they really capitalized on the pace of the Ferrari um, against the German cars and delivered what was a really, really popular win. Well, if it was a great weekend to be in a Ferrari, it wasn't the best weekend to be in a Porsche. We saw uh, numerous Porsche 911 GT3Rs uh, involved in various incidents and punctures. Uh, one of the most notable for fan favorite, the number 911 Manti Racing Porsche, affectionately known uh, as the Grello car. Kevin Estra suffering a spin towards the end of the lap caused by a slow puncture. The car was later withdrawn. We saw the 24 car with an incident early on as well. Not exactly the Nürburgring 24 that Porsche would have hoped for. Yeah, it was um, one, of, one of a number of cars that fell by the wayside, cars that you would expect to see um, up there towards the end of the race. Manti, had, they were really on the back foot from top qualifying onwards. They, they qualified uh, 20th on the grid. Uh, didn't make it into the second qualifying shootout and and at the Nürburgring where where really a lot of the gains that you make are down to sheer pace um, it's always going to be difficult 
called Kevin Estra though um, set thing, everything in motion for them he, he made a terrific start was um, perfectly aggressive sort of the right mixture of aggression and, and caution uh, to get the car up to six but then he had that puncture that sudden moment um, at the end of the lap and, and, and Porsche is still investigating it because it wasn't the only Porsche to have punctures during the race I think that was sort of the theme for the Porsches there were as far as I understand Four Porsche 911 GT3Rs that had left rears uh, go down. There were um, other cars from other manufacturers involved, in, including the winning one, the Ferrari, that had that as well. But for Porsche, that seemed to be a bit of a theme. Um, their challenge sort of um, was whittled away quite early on. And in the end, Rutronic Racing was, was the highest place Porsche in fifth. And we mentioned the new distance record as well. 162 laps of the Nordschleife completed, a couple laps clear of the previous distance record in what was a race that ran pretty much weather unaffected. It was beautiful skies. It was very atypical uh, for the Nürburgring. If you've been following this race or have been a fan of it, you know inclement weather is just usually part of the game here. Not so. It was it was stunning all weekend. Didn't really even have to break out the jackets too, too much. But it led for largely uninterrupted running. Of course, we had code 60s here and there, uh, some smaller incidents, some larger crashes. But in the end, uh, a largely uninterrupted race. The weather was great and they broke the distance record, Dan. Yeah, it was a, a really impressive number to reach, 162, beating the previous record by three laps. It was, um, as you mentioned, the weather played a big part in that. We had dry conditions all throughout the week. I haven't seen a spot of rain um, at the Nürburgring since I got here, and my um, raincoat has never felt so lonely, I think, at this place. Normally it gets good usage, but we were we were clear all the way through. Um, I'm sure the crowd enjoyed that as well. But in terms of the racing, it was a good opportunity to sort of see the real strengths and weaknesses over the cars, over the course of, of the race. Um, for example, you had the BMW M4 GT3s, the turbocharged cars rising through the night um, as, as the, the, the air got thinner and, and the Ferrari also had that situation, the turbocharged car. And I think that sort of helped to set those two in motion as the kind of um, protagonists as we headed towards the, the final quarter of the race. Um, on the other hand, the Mercedes AMGs were, were, I think, consistently strong, but they just obviously didn't have that nighttime advantage that the turbos did. Uh, and therefore, they were not able to uh, challenge for the win. Uh, Mercedes AMG team, Bilstein finishing third. That's the Haupt Racing Team car. Um, they beat the uh, team get speed number two example uh, adam christazuli maxi guts and fabian schiller who were on the podium last year um ending up fourth this time um it was a strong run from mercedes amg i think they they had a pretty clean run to be honest um a penalty here or there of course they lost the number three get speed car but that's when strengthening numbers um becomes favorable and advantageous but um yeah in in the end i think the clear nighttime running helped uh, rover racing's uh pretty perfect operations i must say uh to to be in with a shout of second there and and they they came to within half a minute of the Fricadelli Ferrari at the end uh Rover of course had the uh a shorter final pit stop because it was running two laps long uh, later in each stint stopping two laps later rather than the Ferrari they were all going to the standard eight lap stint length um and then the Ferrari also had to be managing a sort of issue with the dampers that David Pittard revealed after the race so that all sort of contributed to the gap coming down a gap that was sort of flirting towards three minutes at one earlier stage of the race. But um, in the end, uh, it, it came down to half a minute. But I think uh, David Pittard had, uh, had the race in control at that stage. 
It was certainly a, a well-controlled drive. Everybody in the lineup doing their part uh, and the lineup just seemed to work. That car was on it right from the word go, even all the way back to the qualifiers. Uh, another point I want to touch on as well, Dan, we mentioned the weather, we mentioned the distance record, but it was still a race of attrition. This is a, a characteristic, of course, of just racing at the Nürburgring. Uh, usually some of that attrition and some of those retirements happen due to weather. Not so uh, on this occasion, just a couple of incidents and clashes, some smaller than others uh, and some pretty dramatic as well well, a whole host of punctures for a number of cars in the field, multiple manufacturers suffering a lot of incidents as well between cars. And you would expect nothing less in multi-class racing, but the uh, speed difference and the pace difference uh, and the discrepancy between the classes is incredibly large uh, at the Nürburgring. A GT3 car to some of the slower speed TC cars is pretty extensive. One of the big examples we saw was the number three AMG team get speed car uh, being caught out when a lower class Porsche came in, came over, kind of squeezed him onto the grass and there was nothing they could do. Uh, the car was later withdrawn, but uh, the three car, really all the Mercedes seemed to have plenty of pace throughout the race. And, and this was kind of a big one for one of the front runners. Uh, some other incidents involving uh, one of the Porsche GT3 cars uh, and, and a lower class Dacia caused a huge incident as well. There were cars going off and causing uh, issues with oil slick as well. So no shortage of drama at the Nürburgring, but you would expect nothing less at the Nordschleife. Yeah. And in, in SB9, you're, you're always going to see those um, GT3 cars in the thick of the action and some cars having issues. Um, the get speed incident was unfortunate. And uh, I think Mario Engel was um, pretty annoyed at the, the placement of the Porsche came in there. And he wasn't the only driver, actually, after the race, I spoke to a couple of others who, who said that um, the, the slower category traffic was actually worse this year than it had been in previous years. Um, and they were sort of referring to driving standards there. Interesting, because the Nürburgring 24 grid isn't as big as it perhaps was uh, 10 years ago, let's say we had 130 odd cars, um, but still not as busy as it has been. But some SP9 cars getting involved in some incidents there and the drivers um, not too happy with how things um, ended up for some of them but there, there were other incidents that weren't um, related to contact I think a notable one was um, the succession of punctures for the App Sports Line Lamborghini Huracan GT3 Evo 2 which took an early lead in the race um, and it was looking really strong I, I was sort of when I saw that car uh, and the Fricadelli Ferrari emerging um, as, as very early oh. contenders um, you sort of thought that one of those might have issues and maybe one would be able to go the distance and apt was hoping it would be its car but in the end it was the ferrari i still think though apt did a a pretty strong drive to get to ninth overall towards the end of the race after some early setbacks and and certainly i think uh lamborghini and perhaps other manufacturers would be encouraged by um the showing of ferrari to get a non-german car to win. We, we of course know that uh, Corvette Racing had boots on the ground uh, on a bit of a fact finder mission for when the Chevrolet Corvette Z06 GT3R comes onto the market. Um, so who knows, maybe this won't be, it won't be uh, 20 odd years before the next one. Well, Dan, that's actually a nice transition into our news section. But before we do that, let's take a look at SRO America, who was at the Circuit of the Americas for a pair of rounds at Coda. In the first race of the weekend, it was Wright Motorsports' Elliott Skier and Adam Adelson who took victory in what turned out to be a Porsche-dominated race. When it was all said and done, the Porsches looked to be the class of the field, taking the first four positions in the final results overall. It was anything but straightforward, though. We saw some really heavy contact, notably between the Conquest Racing Ferrari number 21 and the number 94 Bimmer World that resulted in the Ferrari not taking part in the second round of the weekend. 
Conquest decided to withdraw the car after it made heavy, heavy contact with the barrier. You can read the article all about it on the website. Where this set up the second race of the week, where Racers Edge Motorsport took victory with Ashton Harrison and Mario Farnbarker to win overall in what was a mixed conditions race. It was tricky, and despite the Conquest Racing Ferrari not starting, there was only one retirement during the race. It was a fantastic weekend of action at the Circuit of the Americas, a track that never seems to disappoint in a category that never seems to disappoint. So the double weekend formats for SRO America gave us plenty to look forward to and you can catch up on all the coverage on sportscar365.com as john DeGeese was down there trackside in texas providing coverage of the fanatec gt world challenge america powered by aws and keeping an eye on some of the other support series as well you can read all about it of course on the website to get the full story on everything that happened this weekend at coda and as always you can catch up on all the weekend's racing action in dan lloyd's weekly racing roundup on sportscar365.com Well, Dan, you mentioned Corvette. Let's talk about them for a moment. We know that there were boots on the ground from the American manufacturer, kind of data gathering and fact finding at the Nürburgring. They haven't confirmed any plans to run there yet, but generally you wouldn't send a crew out to to learn and study unless you had some interest in running a race there. Of course, nothing to report until there is something to report. But what we do know is that there were Corvette employees there uh, wandering the paddock and gathering as much info as you can. Of course, if you're going to race at at an event like the N24, you never want to go in blind. So General Motors doing their due diligence uh, and doing their homework at the Nürburgring, if they do in fact decide to, to have a program that runs cars here, we know that the upcoming Corvette GT3 that would be eligible to run on the Nordschleife, but again, nothing to report just yet. Yeah, and it, it's it's good to see them putting the the homework in this early um, because it's an event that can't be uh, underestimated. Really, we, we we see how easy it is for um, a manufacturer to have a, a good run like Aston Martin last year, and then everything um, goes away in one instant, and you've only got one car. So that's that's the race done. I think. Um, Corvette are really doing um, doing the background work. I think they they seem to be sort of by getting here early. They seem to be clearly showing a good respect for the event as to um, what might happen. We don't know because it remains to be seen who would be running those Corvettes in um, in customer hands. Um, what's likely is that it won't be a 2024 effort because Corvette is first focusing on the American market uh, in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship and also uh, in the FIA World Endurance Championship. LMGT3 class. Um, so an Nürburgring effort would most likely be taking place in 2025. And obviously that's a long way away. There's, there'd be a lot of sorting out as to who might be um, running that program um, and, and sort of the the, the support there from, from the Corvette racing factory side. But certainly um, good to see that manufacturer there. And um, I think uh, any, any listener would agree that it would be great to see um, a, a Chevy car running around the Nordschleife again. Let's not forget um, uh, the last non-German manufacturer to win before um, Ferrari was Chrysler. So American manufacturers have some uh, history at the race and uh, maybe Corvette Racing can add another chapter to that if they decide that this is uh, a place they're going to end up racing at. And Dan, you got to think with the massive fan presence that Corvette seems to have at just about any racetrack they go to anywhere in the world, uh, certainly in the US, but even in, in the WEC, they, they have a huge following there that they definitely would, would be an instant fan favorite uh, at the Nürburgring. Uh, of course, the, the current king of fan favorites has to either be the, the old foxtail or the grello, of, but the more the merrier at the Nürburgring. And it would be great to see them if that does indeed happen. 
Let's talk about IMSA for a moment and specifically about the GTP class. We now know that Wayne Taylor Racing with Andretti Autosport has confirmed they will be running a second Acura ARX 06 in next season's IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. This is big news, Dan, because we know that Wayne Taylor and Michael Andretti have both previously expressed interest in the past about expanding their program, uh, and this is certainly a step in the right direction for them. We don't know what this means in terms of implications for other teams on the grid, specifically those in the GTP ranks, uh, but what we do know is that there will be a second Acura ARX 06 run by WTR Andretti next year on the IMSA grid. More, more cars on the grid is always good news for the GTP class and, and certainly um, Wayne Taylor racing with Andretti Autosport, even as a single car entry, have been so um, so potent and competitive, um, not just in GTP, but with Wayne Taylor Racing's obvious DPI um, uh, success in previous years. Um, adding a second car, you can only imagine that that's going to be um, a real strong uh, proposition in the championship next year. But um, it's good that the HP, HPD uh, are supporting that. Um, I guess the question then goes over to Mayor Shank Racing and what the plan is there, whether they would uh, also go to two cars, whether um, they will have con- a, a continuous one-car program or whether they'll have a car on the grid at all, I, I don't know. Um, but simply looking at the Wayne Taylor uh, effort, it, it's, it seems sort of a, an inevitable um, move based on the strengthening of the Wayne Taylor operation with the alliance with Andretti Autosport and the clear uh, goals that they have there. Um, I think that's going to be a really strong uh, effort. And I suppose it sort of opens up some doors in terms of driver market. Be interesting to see who ends up getting a look in for that program. It's already been confirmed that Ricky Taylor and Felipe Albuquerque will continue in the number 10 machine. Um, that long standing pairing of obviously um, done so well with Wayne Taylor racing in, in the last few years. But um, yeah, there's there's some opportunities there as well um, for that additional, uh, presumably black and blue Acura on the grid. We'll have to see. Well, Dan, this is where we get to let the rumor mill and the speculation commence and the uh, silly season rumors uh, take flight as to who will be in that second entry for WTR Andretti. But nothing to report yet. We'll, of course, keep you posted as this story develops on sportscar365.com. Well, sticking with the GTP class, let's talk Cadillac for a moment. Chip Ganassi Racing uh, will be bringing the IMSA chassis from their number 01 entry, the yellow Cadillac, over to compete in the 24 Hours of Le Mans. This is following a a fairly large accident that they had at Spa. A mechanical issue uh, caused a a huge incident while Ringer van der Zander was behind the wheel up through a Rouge and Radion. It was a pretty dramatic crash. And according to Cadillac, this is a bit of a chassis re-rack following the crash at Spa, but they'll have to freight the IMSA car over. But of course, with an organ organization like CGR, you, you can never count them out. They're doing everything in their power to make sure that they're as competitive as possible for the 100th running of the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Yeah, I mean, it's it was uh, a real unfortunate event at Spa with um, Renga's accident, but I'm sure attention in part of the um, Chip Ganassi Racing uh, organization immediately turned to, to what they would be able to do for Le Mans. Um, they've obviously got decent resources, but nonetheless, the time schedule is tight. So um, you've got to appreciate that quite a decent amount of work has been done in there to source um, the IMSA car, get it ready, um, freight it over to uh, France, which I understand that will be taking place this week. Um, so they'll have plenty of time to have the car on the ground. Don't know if there'll be any chance to sort of do a shakedown or brief preparation on track that, that they might need before the test day. But um, certainly it, it's it's good that they got that plan in place. Um, and it, although it is challenging in terms of logistics and 
sourcing parts. I talk to teams all the time and they, they're always talking about these um, backlogs with parts and just getting hold of equipment. And if you have an accident, it's a real setback because um, lead times on things can be, in some cases, pretty challenging. But no, Chip Ganassi Racing seems to have got things sorted there. And uh, no doubt, no matter what chassis it is, um, that entry will be strong when it hits the ground at Le Mans. Dan, you mentioned the strength of the entry and something that's going to help them too is this car, this chassis, is coming off an IMSA win at Laguna Seca. Chip Ganassi Racing's first win of the season, of course, is the second GTP victory in the States for the Cadillac V-Series.R, but the first for the yellow Cadillac and the CGR crew. Carrying that over, using the exact same car, the 24 Hours of Le Mans, not to be taken lightly. Dan, this this could definitely play into just raising team spirits and raising morale uh, at the 100th running that we'll see in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I'm sure that's got to be a huge mental boost. Um, obviously, it's a, it's a different environment coming into the um, the Le Mans setting, the ACO rules racing, but Chip Ganassi Racing prepared for it with that additional car entered into the six hours of Spa-Francorchamps. Okay, the race didn't go the way they wanted to, but I think they learned a lot there. Um, and also the benefit of having Action Express racing staff in and around in that race in Belgium um, is probably just um, propping up the the overall effort for the Cadillac um, debut at, at Le Mans with the LMDH cast. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think they're going to be as strong as they can be. They seem to be quite confident in the car based on what we've seen in the early season WEC rounds. We'll, we'll just have to wait and see, but I think they're they're preparing themselves in, in the best way that they possibly can in order to be um, a strong proposition. Obviously, a few things have changed with the tyre warmer ban um, being reintroduced for Le Mans only, something that they wouldn't really have been preparing for with, with the uh, Michelin tyres for this year. Just from a pure operational perspective, they'll be ready. And from a morale perspective, as you mentioned, the, the sort of the, the coming of age of, of the, the IMSA success is, is, is going to be a big boost, I think. And just quickly before we move on, we'll also mention that Malte Jakobsen has signed with Peugeot as a junior driver. Getting the nod from the French manufacturer, the 19-year-old Dane has been a bit of a rising star in prototype racing as of late. And his new junior driver title with Peugeot means he'll get to take place in the rookie test at the end of the season in the 9x8. And he'll also take part in test sessions and race preparation with the team to get some valuable experience in a hypercar program. Again, not too shabby for just 19 years old. As always, you can catch up on all the news headlines we covered on today's show and more over on sportscar365.com. Well, Dan, let's move into answering a listener question. We had a question come in in the comment section from our previous episode from Jason Perry, who says, A few weeks ago, it was mentioned that a NASCAR Cup car at Le Mans as a Garage 56 entry uh, seemed more of a publicity stunt than an ex- exhibition of new technology. This is in reference to the fact that it was initially supposed to be a, a hybrid power unit inside that car that originated as a NASCAR Cup car and then was modified to run a- as an innovative entry. The question is, could this be testing the waters to see if there's an interest in tube frame cars? Think of GTO, GTU of the 80s and 90s, and even current day Trans Am cars, or is NASCAR trying to spark interest in their brand overseas. It's an interesting point. I I think as far as I understand, Jason, this is mainly to to draw eyes and attract interest uh, to the NASCAR Cup Series and and bring more of an international audience uh, to this type of racing. Obviously, with the next-gen cars, NASCAR has done a lot of marketing on that side in the United States. And I think with the growing of, of racing and motorsport internationally, uh, this is this is kind of a way to try to capitalize on that rising tide and, and bring some European eyes and more of a global fan base to the the top form of American stock car racing. 
Yeah, I, I think I'd agree with you there, Jonathan. I, and, and certainly, you know, having having someone like uh, Jensen Button in the car is obviously you've got um, for 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 the British audience as well. But but from an international perspective, is is a big name from from Formula One, um, and and that's probably going to help a lot with the entry to have that international flavour of it as they come in and sort of spread the word of NASCAR, I suppose. As always, thanks for writing in your questions. We love answering them on the show. If you have a question you'd like us to answer on Double Stint, be sure to post it in the comments section below this episode or take to Twitter and post your question there using the hashtag AskDoubleStint. Or you can always reach out to us and send us a message on Instagram and we'll put our heads together to answer your question in an upcoming episode. Well, let's give you a preview of what's coming up in the world of sports car racing. And we'll start at the Circuit de Spa-Francorchamps in Belgium, where 68 cars will participate in a test ahead of the Intercontinental GT Challenge's CrowdStrike 24 Hours of Spa. The Spa 24 will take place June 29th through July 2nd. This is just a couple of test days to get everybody prepped. Notably, though, 10 teams are coming up from the Nordschleife after competing in the Nürburgring 24. And as it is with the Nürburgring, even though the race is a ways out, you never want to miss an opportunity to get the testing laps in when you can, especially around a circuit as tricky as Spa. We'll also see DTM in action at Oschersleben, as well as the Intelligent Money British GT Championship tackling Donington Park. And of course, you can follow all the weekend's racing action on sportscar365.com. Well, that'll do it this week on the podcast. If you have the time, we'd greatly appreciate a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice. It really helps out the show. Thank you so much for joining us wherever you're tuning in from. For Dan Lloyd, I'm Jonathan Grace. We'll see you right back here next week for another edition of Double Stint.